the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Monday, July 24th. NFL camps will officially open this week for most teams. We've got a couple of injuries to talk about, a couple of physicals to talk about, a couple of signings to talk about. Here's the slate. Just some up-to-date recaps on some things that happened this weekend. Five NFL players I cannot believe haven't been extended yet and what I think it looks like when they get done and when they'll get done. Major League Baseball's trade deadline's a week away. We'll talk about teams I think who are absolutely sellers, a few dozen players who are now on that trade block list, and a couple of blockbuster names that I think should be there and why. Then it's back to the NFL a little bit. Available free agents. And we'll finish with how the Open Championship paid out this weekend. It was sloppy. It was difficult. It was everything you want from an open championship. How much money did those guys walk away with for their efforts? That's on the docket next on the Spot Trick Podcast. Jimmy Garoppolo had a unique contract that got restructured about a minute and a half after he signed it because the Las Vegas Raiders looked at his injury situation and said, wait a minute, that's probably not going to work for us out of the gate. Uh, basically, they took away his signing bonus, took away all his upfront money. There were 33 and change guaranteed. However, he had to pass a physical this week before camp in order to lock in those guarantees. It appears based on multiple reports that he has done that, that he will be the starting quarterback for the Raiders in 2023 and that he gets 33.75 million fully guaranteed through the 2024 season. That includes a little over 24 million this year specifically with a gigantic base salary because of that restructure. So good news for probably everybody in that scenario. Uh, we'll see what happens on the field. Obviously, there's a Josh Jacobs situation, which we've talked about. Um, but look, that's Devonta Adams. That's Hunter Renfro. No more Darren Waller, but there's some weapons there. Defensively, I think they're still pretty voided in the in the secondary. But I think Garoppolo at least can hold Derek Carr's serve. And for now, that's what this organization is looking to do. Basically, just kind of stay who they are and hope they can hit lightning in a bottle. When that doesn't happen, Look for Garoppolo to be on the trade block next year and look for a lot of other changes elsewhere on that roster because of the way contracts were structured, which offered pretty decent outs after one or two seasons with all their major extensions. Naheem Hines, the gadgety running back and returner for the Buffalo Bills, becomes the first casualty of, geez, not even training camp. Bills training camp starts Wednesday. This is a pre-pre-training camp injury. It's a knee injury. It's a season-ending injury. He had just restructured his contract to remain kind of valid in the Bills system, even though you know players like Deontay Hardy were signed. Buffalo is certainly happy they did that, by the way, because they have themselves a returner now with tons of experience that can step into it. But in terms of Hines' contract, it came with $2 million guaranteed all in 2023. There is a March 2024 roster bonus. That will make this an early decision for the Bills if they want to carry his $5.5 million cap hit or take the 500000 of dead cap and move on. So it's a tough scenario. Hines uh, was one of the superstars, certainly down the stretch with that magical return moment post the DeMar Hamlin situation. He was going to be a, a, you know, a weapon for this Bills offense, but no longer. He is out for the season with a knee injury based on NFL Network reports this morning. Let's switch gears to some money. We've talked extensions a lot, and they aren't they aren't filing in as quickly as I thought they would. However, as our buddy Andrew Brandt always says, deadlines spur actions. Training camp is a soft deadline in the NFL, especially for a lot of agents negotiation-wise. 
I do think it's going to be a big week for numbers. So uh, if the Joe Burrow contract is going to hit, it's probably going to be this week. Um, I've got five players, one or two that I haven't talked about too much yet, that I really cannot believe do not have a contract extension in the NFL right now. I'm going to run through them quickly with some numbers that I put together. The first is Justin Jefferson. And I've talked on both sides of this fence because Minnesota's weird and they continue to be weird in terms of the roster construction and the future outlook of this team. But there's nothing weird about Justin Jefferson. Nothing. And I think he transcends whatever quarterback situation you're going to have. So if you're not going to bring back Kirk Cousins next year and you don't yet know who that's going to be, could be a brand new rookie, even if it is a brand new rookie, I think it's pretty damn nice to have Justin Jefferson under contract for three more years fully guaranteed. Now, are they super far apart because Jefferson wants to go $32 million a year, 75 guaranteed, all that stuff? Probably. And Minnesota's saying, wait a minute, what are we paying anything for right now? We don't even know what these five positions are going to look like next year. That's fair. However, I don't think this is a contract and a player and a resume that you can nickel and dime. So if they want to keep this guy around as the linchpin player, offensively speaking, now that Delvin Cook is off the roster, I think they're going to have to come up with as much as possible. And oh, by the way, you want to do this before the CeeDee Lambs of the world continue to push this number forward. And Jerry Jones has been known, not so much average annual, but guarantees doling out some pretty good numbers. So CeeDee Lamb's number could pressure Cooper Cup 75 million. And if you've you know read anything that I've posted lately, I did a projected breakdown for a Justin Jefferson extension that included 96 million practically guaranteed. Okay. So again, no screwing around with this one. I've got him on four years, 128. That's about five for 140 total. Okay. This is a, this is a no brainer in my opinion. It's a lot of money. It's not my money, but you know, if I'm armchair GM in this situation, I'm just a little shocked that for the future of this franchise, that they're letting this play out. You just don't screw around with the player who has done what he has done, you know, despite not having what you would call an elite quarterback. So I wouldn't be concerned about who's coming in next or if it's Kirk Cousins version 3.0 coming back. I just want this guy under contract as a way to say to the rest of the world, especially if you're going to be active in free agency, hey, this guy's here. This is our guy. This can be your guy too. So that's one. The second is Chris Jones, a name that's been prevalent in the media recently because I don't think he's going to show up to training camp in Kansas City, which means 50,000 docked per day. And a lot of you say, oh, be selfish. What is he doing? This is a Super Bowl contender, the, you know, the reigning Super Bowl champion. All true. He's also on an expiring contract and a player of his worth should not be allowed to play on an expiring contract in the veteran stages of his career. That's just the way I feel about it. Now, you want to run a rookie contract out and, you know, get yourself to a situation where you can at least gain some value, fine. But you got a player who, if he says no to every extension over the next couple of weeks, is going to walk into either a big, big franchise tag or free agency at age 29 going on 30 doing what he's been doing, an integral part to every postseason you've had, an integral part to every regular season you've had for the last five years. 65 career sacks. Okay, 65 career sacks in 107 games. That's what this guy has done, and that's only one stat line. Okay, we've got 12 forced fumbles. This guy has two interceptions in his career as a defensive tackle. 
right? He's doing everything. He is the ultimate, put me anywhere on the defensive line and I'm going to make it happen. And he's not even 30 years old. He just turned 29. There's really no arguments here. This is Justin Jefferson, but you know, a few years older and a position that maybe not every team values as highly as others do. You can say that, but the defensive tackle number just had a moment that the wide receivers had last offseason, right? It's been six really sizable interior defensive line contracts this offseason. And Chris Jones has to be next. And there's a reason he's last. And the reason he's last is that he wanted to make sure that Quinn and Williams didn't go $29 million a year. He wanted to make sure that Dexter Lawrence didn't get $4 million more than he deserves on a per-year basis. And he wanted to see where the guaranteed numbers all fell so that he had absolutely no reason to walk into the room and say, this is exactly what this has to be. Here's the floor. We all know the floor because there's been five contracts that said, this is what we're worth now. And you know where I stand on this list. It's Aaron Donald and me, and then a bunch of guys, a bunch of great guys, a bunch of great players. Chris Jones is at the top of his game right now, still at age 29. Here are the, here are the tops. The top guarantee at signing at this position is $55 million, Deron Payne, Washington. The top practical guarantee is Aaron Donald at $95 million. Okay. The contract that I put together on spotdirect.com does not approach Chris, uh, Aaron Donald's number. It's slightly under in all, all regards, and I think that's fair. A, Donald probably got a bit of an overpay, and rightfully so. He was coming off the Super Bowl situation. He was coming off a five-year stretch that was unmatched at that position. So you have to pay, which is what I think Justin Jefferson needs right now, by the way. And I think Chris Jones gets a light version of that. I've got him on three for 93. That's tacked on to the one for 20 he still has left. $54 million guaranteed at signing. Put him right there at the top of that number. $81.5 million practically guaranteed. Easily second but still pretty handily behind Aaron Donald's inflated number in Los Angeles right now. It's going to get done. It's going to be north of 30 million a year. If if you care about that to me, it's got to be more than 75 million practically guaranteed because he's worth that just waking up and putting on a Jersey. So I I don't know how you look around the room and say, well, we can, we're the chiefs. We can continue to lowball our players. You know, Travis Kelsey's dealing with it. Patrick Mahomes is dealing with it. They are until they aren't. Okay. Mahomes has already talked about the next contract. And Chris Jones has every right to be talking about his next contract right now as he's staring down free agency in 2024. So at least 30 a year, at least 75 practically guaranteed and uh, some stability for the next three seasons through age 32 makes a hell of a lot of sense as well. Next player, Josh Allen, the other Josh Allen, Jacksonville Jaguars player, Josh Allen. The Jags have done a lot of late. There's been a lot of movement. They brought in Calvin Ridley. They're, they're still trending fairly young. That Trevor Lawrence contract is staring him in the face next summer. So that's coming. But for the most part, this has been an organization that has subtracted as quickly as they've added. And I think that's been a good thing. Um, they are not sitting on their hands. They're not falling in love too much. They went depth this offseason, whereas last season it was about upgrading every position possible. With this season, it's about how can we add one or two more bodies able bodies to most of the dominant positions and prepare ourselves for a legitimate playoff run, which is what I think they're about to do here. You want to get ahead of some of these things. But in the case of the Josh Allens of the world, it's a position, this edge rusher, that is really, 
I'm not going to say it's been devalued. It has plateaued, in my opinion. Now, Nick Bosa, more of a defensive end in his for, in his formation in San Francisco, is also on this list. He's going to be next. So if we want to have a joint com- conversation here, why hasn't Nick Bosa been signed when the 49ers have been pretty frivolous about handing out the money to the players that absolutely deserve it and moving on from players who they know they're never going to pay? That's just been their MO. It's aggressive. It's good business. For the most part, it has been extremely successful with them, keeping them relevant through a lot of iterations. Why is it Nick Bosa paid? We can talk about the injuries. You can talk about the rest of the roster. But there's two things to me that are, that are, that are saying this out loud. A, a, the quarterback position is in flux. And they know they have incredible value on it right now, which should help Bosa. But I believe it has to do with my initial point, which is, are we supposed to be paying these players? Are we supposed to be handing out $100 million guaranteed, $31, $33, 35000000 a year to an edge rusher that is getting me, what, at most 85% of my snaps, at most on average. And that's a big part of it, okay? It's the workload. It's the injury rate. It's the production rate. A lot of these guys have A, B years, right? A, a is way up there, 12, 15 sacks, and then B comes down to a six to eight for whatever reason. It's just kind of the way things are going right now. It's very, and I hate to say this, it's very running back-like. Whereas there are moments when they are the most important players in the field, and there are moments when you forget they're on the field. And that's just kind of the nature of it. I don't think it's been devalued yet. I do think Nick Bosa is going to get his contract. Josh Allen is, is heading into his fifth-year option year at just less than a little bit less than $11 million, fully guaranteed right now. And then he's destined for either a sizable franchise tag or, again, free agency in 2024. My guess is this is a player the Jaguars want to keep and are simply trying to stagger some things out. He's never hit that mega, mega peak production year. Last year was probably his best overall year, four for his fumbles, seven sacks, uh, you know, almost 60 tackles a good above average player, not the number seven overall player. So there's probably a gap between what he's asking for because of his starting point and what Jacksonville is willing to do. I can tell you right now, he's not a $30 million player on our system. He's not in Nick Bosa's range who should reset TJ Watt and his brother, his brother Joey's numbers soon. I would imagine. Allen is in that second tier, 22 million a year, 25 million a year, sort of in that Harold Landry number, sort of around there, um, sort of in that Bradley Chubb deal that, that was just signed in Miami after he was traded. I think those are the, the right comps here. Chubb got five for 110, you know, two and a half years fully guaranteed at signing. That's probably what you're going to have to deal with if you're Josh Allen. And by the way, I think they'll get to that point eventually because I don't think there's enough of a resume here outside of the draft pick to substantiate a top-of-the-market contract, nor should I think that he he should be really vying for that on this team. Now, if that's what he's looking for, a total top-of-the-market, squeeze every dollar out possible, then we're talking about a trade situation. And I don't think that's completely off the table either. That name has been out there before. I believe it was out there last deadline. We've heard this quite a bit. I don't think we're trending there yet. My point is, if negotiations start to break off, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if it's a tag and trade next March. Don't be surprised if we start hearing it at the deadline, depending on where Jacksonville stands in the standings come November. So there's a name I haven't thrown out there too much. 
I think he's worth that Bradley Chubb deal. I'm not sure he's willing to come down to that number just yet. Javon Diggs. I did an entire basically five element piece about Cowboys extensions. Um, Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb, Trevin Diggs, Tony Pollard, Terrence Steele, the tackle who has been thrust into a big role, pending free agent. In Diggs' case, he's also a pending free agent on a non-first round you know, rookie contract, which means this is year four and it's an expiring deal. Now, he's a tag candidate. It's not really a position that's been tagged often. Generally speaking, teams don't see value in franchise tagging this position. But it is a position that when the best players hit the open market, it becomes the top free agent contract of the year. I've seen, we've seen it three, four years in a row. So I don't think they want to get to that point. So I'm going to put Diggs ahead of Prescott, ahead of Lamb for that reason alone. He's on the expiring contract. There's really no wiggle room in 2024. They probably don't want to tag him. And if, the, and if anything, they probably want to keep the tag for Terrence Steele if he has the big production year they think he will on the offensive line and they have to replace Tyrant Smith and things like that. So they probably don't want have anything set aside in 2024 for Diggs, which puts him on immediate extension candidacy right now. I don't think it needs to break the bank. Okay, you can get you can get to a twenty-one and a half million dollar average salary pretty easily right now. Um, you know that's the Denzel Wards of the world, Jair Alexander's of the world. You don't have to go seventy million plus guaranteed with this player. He's just not. He's not a top three cornerback in the league. He's great, and he's a ball hawk, and he's kind of that versatile do it all kind of secondary player. He might even shift to safety at some point of his career, which is good news, not bad news. But I've got him on about four for 86, about 60 million practically guaranteed. I think that's enough. Now, he might not. I mean, you know, when there's numbers like 70 and 65 sitting out there already. But I do think you can give him a good, juicy average salary, make it guaranteed for two years, make him work to get that third year, and make it about 60 and a half, 62 million over three years, and then get back on the market at age 29, by the way, when it's all said and done. So, uh, if I had to pick a cowboy that I think deserves the deal right now, it would be Diggs for the reasons I laid out. And I don't think it has to be a reset the market type of deal uh, for the quarterback position. So there you go. I kind of uh, did a two for one there with Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa is going to be 30 million a year. He's going to be in TJ Watts wheelhouse. As long as San Francisco doesn't have some kind of problem with uh, internally that we just don't know about, you know, there are a lot of red flags. There's no question about it, but, with the quarterback costing you $800,000, I just don't see a, a way forward right now for them not to get a Bosa contract done unless they are looking to stretch this thing out to, to the very last second in terms of franchise tag, maybe even a double franchise tag and utilize the quarterback value to keep, him, keep the team control version of Nick Bosa under wraps. At some point in time, though, he's just going to walk away. And I don't think he'll report to training camp as part of it. So we'll see where that ends up. I think Bosa and Chris Jones are in similar boats. Josh Allen might just have to settle a little bit in his scenario. And for Justin Jefferson, you know, you probably won't become publicly loud about this because there's quite a lot of players that have done that and it's been really damaging, more damaging than productive. But we can be. You know, we can be in Minnesota for in Minnesota's behalf. And I think we should be. I've put the contract out there that I think is serviceable for him. I think there are probably experts that do this that think what I've done is low. But 
four for about 130 with almost 100 million practically guaranteed for a wide receiver. That's a that's a lot for anybody to swallow, but that's the kind of guy that that deserves it. So let's uh, let's start banging the hat for Justin Jefferson in, in Minnesota and see where we get ourselves. Okay, let's flip the switch to Major League Baseball and get out of here on a Monday. It is one week until the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Man, this snuck up on us. I posted an article this morning on spotrith.com that includes a few dozen players, but I also did it based on a couple of teams. So there are four or five teams right now in the league, and I'm including my Mets as maybe the uh, you know the breadwinner of this conversation, that have, what, four to six names that could easily move in the next week for whatever reason, financial reasons, they can help contenders, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the, the initial part of this article is five or six teams and all the players that I think are in the hat, in, on the trade block right now, at least in discussions with other franchises as we head towards August 1st. That would be the Mets, the White Sox, who literally have a dozen players, the Cardinals, the Cubs, the Tigers, and the Nationals. A lot of National League teams, but that's sort of where I steer just for this piece. You're going to see a lot more names come out as, as well. And then I put a bucket at the bottom, a few more. It's about 15 players, um, you know, some surprise names there, but 15 players that, generally speaking, aren't costing much, are, are of extreme value, but are, you know, Rockies and Royals and Pirates and, and teams like that that are going nowhere. The Athletics even have a starting pitcher that I think could garner some serious return for them if they continue to rebuild. I'm going to focus on a couple of names here. Uh, we'll start with the Mets because they're going to be on the top of most people's dials because of the payroll, right? 350, 380 on the tax. Anything they can shed by August 1st is going to lower their tax bill. And that's a big deal because it's not like dollar for dollar, right? It's like you, you lose, let's just say they move David Robertson, the closer, right? And that's 3.2 million at the deadline. That's what he costs to leave. Well, that's going to be 10 million plus of tax bill savings to the Mets because of the tier they're in right now, the Steve Cohen tier. So you want to do, you want to nickel and dime it and you want to be smart about this and get some return back. But some of this is an, an NBA discussion. Some of this is, I need to get that 3 million off our books because of what it represents in, ter- in terms of tax bill in September and October. So there's that. And that's why I think players like Robertson and Brooks Raley. And uh, to some degree, Tommy Pham, if he can stay healthy, will go. I mean, that's that's $10 million of salary being shed for the remainder of 2023 and significant tax savings for the Mets. And that's what this is all about. Um, I've got bigger names here. I've got a Mark Canna who's got a club option for next year. I've got the Verlander-Scherzo combo, combo, but these are the numbers on moving Max Scherzer and or Justin Verlander just for this year. Okay. And if Scherzer can opt out, I doubt he will. And Verlander is fully guaranteed next year at the 43 million. Assuming the Mets don't need anything, and that's crazy. Each of these players has over 14 million remaining on August 1st in 2023. Can you imagine a, uh, any kind of contender taking on Max Scherzer and or Justin Verlander for $14 million? No. So the answer is the Mets have to eat more money. They've already done it twice this year. I don't think they're afraid to do it, but in my opinion, the interest for those players won't be as great as it should be because they're not having great years at all. I mean, Scherzer's given up 23 home runs in 19 starts or something. It's around that number. It's bad. And Verlander's looked old, to be quite quite frank. So you can talk about how 
there's value at the trade deadline. But when you're looking at the big players and the high paid players, unless you're talking about salary retention, there's really not value because for two months, 14 million is a hell of a lot to pay any player, especially a pitcher who's only going out there for four or five starts for you. I think the Dodgers regretted that with Scherzer down the stretch when they did it from Washington, but it got him trade Turner and a little bit more ammo. So I don't think you're going to see this rash of starting, you know, high paid starting pitchers move, even though they're driving the trade conversations right now. Got to think a little bit more boring, which is what franchises are looking for right now. They want one to 2 million at the most. If they have to, you know, lower their, their, their trade prospect a little bit in order to have the current team keep on some salary, they'll do it. And we've seen that quite a bit, but let's go to the White Sox who have Joe Kelly at less than 3 million, you know, Kenyon Middleton at 240,000, Ronaldo Lopez is at a million dollars. That's the kind of moves that get done at the deadline. All right. Now I think Giolito will go at three, three and change at the deadline price. And he might be the big fish to go unless somebody takes Marcus Stroman away from the Cubs. But those, those relievers in the hundreds of thousands, you know, not the millions, those are the guys that are going to move this up, this deadline. There's no question about it. Um, the Cardinals have a few of those. And Chris Stratton and Jordan Hicks. The Cubs sort of can nickel and dime this a little bit, right? But for the most part, most of the players on this list cost more than a million dollars, which means to me, they're not likely to be moved just the way I've been able to read deadlines over the past decade or so. Will there be a splash? Here's the name. I already said it a couple of weeks ago with Cousin Dan, if you listen regularly. I think the Padres are going to look around finally and say to themselves, okay, we're done, guys. <laughs> it's just not our year. Whatever the hell happened has officially happened, and we've got to get something back for this. We've got to get something back for this. Now, there's Josh Hader, who's got $4.5 left. Is anybody going to buy a closer for $4.5 I don't know. I don't know. There's Blake Snell at five and change left. That seems pricey for a rental. And then there's Juan Soto, who's got $7.4 million left on August 1st. He's got one more arbitration year before free agency. So we're talking about, you know, one year plus two months. And we've got a, a memory in our brains of how bad he was last year when Washington traded him to San Diego and he had two months from hell getting acclimated or whatever that was. In other words, let's say Boston acquires Juan Soto. I'm just throwing it out there. Or Baltimore. Maybe Baltimore is a better one. Are they going to be concerned about A, the 7 million, 7.5 million, and B, how long it's going to take for him to ramp up? Because neither of those teams can wait. You know, Tampa Bay can't wait. They have been caught in the AL East. I think all three of those teams could be in on Juan Soto pretty easily. And I do think San Diego has to look around and realize what the hell they are, which is an overpriced dud, not just for one year, but for multiple years. And Soto might have the most value still, even after all that, even after all the negativity I've just thrown out there, I still think he holds maximum value with one year of arbitration left. The time is now. The time is not next winter. Next winter is too late, in my opinion, when you're on the expiring. So if you can get more at the deadline right now because of the rental plus the year, I think San Diego has to do it unless they think they have a real chance to retain him. 
And with Scott Boris doing the dirty work, I just don't know where it's going to be. And by the way, if you think that Soto is, isn't waiting for Otani on purpose, you're wrong. Okay. Cause Otani is going to go 550 plus, And then Juan Soto, you know, Juan Soto is going to say, all right, now I'm 450 without even trying. Minimum 450 because I'm the best position player from from a hitting standpoint, even though he's garbage in the outfield. And that's where we go from there. So it's going to get pricey. It's going to get complicated. And I don't think San Diego has time to do any of that right now. They don't have time to wait around and then overpay again. They've done plenty of that. They need value and they need to replenish their pool. Because for as many veterans, high-paid veterans as you have, you have to have two or three rookies ready to come in every year and compete for positions. And I don't think they have that right now. They have emptied their cupboards to bring in some of the talent that they have, Soto being one of them. And if you can gain 75% of that back right now, it has to happen. So that's the name. That's the blockbuster name that I think should be out there, legitimately out there. I do think Stroman should be going. I do think... Aaron Savali in Cleveland could be going. Eduardo Rodriguez from Detroit should be going. I think Cody Bellinger has done enough to warrant a trade this off or this this deadline. Jordan Montgomery in St. Louis should be a name that moves. I mentioned Giolito. And then there's the Mets who have Tommy Pham and Brooks Raley and David Roberts, and three names I think absolutely will go over the next couple of days. So I've got, like I said, I've got a few dozen names here. You can ham and haw as much as you need. Um, I've done as much research as possible. And by the way, some of that is just watching baseball for six months, which is what I do. And uh, I've got all the numbers there as well. How much is remaining right now? How much is remaining on August 1st? And uh, like I said, a lot of these deals will include retained salary. It's just the way of the land right now. But if not, that's the price coming over to the new team on August 1st, if and when that player is officially moved. So, so, So as I said, I'll restate here, four or five teams that I dove in hard on and then uh, a bucket pool of a dozen or so players that I do think are in serious conversations, three of them being high-profile Padres once they realize it's just not our year and we have to shave some tax bills and we have to shave some roster spots and bring back some kind of prospect pool that we simply have none of right now heading toward the winter. And finally, as we like to do, we'll recap the latest PGA major, golf major, the Open Championship, which completed yesterday in a rain-filled Sunday. Brian Harmon, the American, will bag $3 million for his efforts this weekend. It was a hell of a run for him. Uh, You know the numbers, uh, five-stroke lead at all point in time after every round, finishing at minus 13 on a difficult course in difficult conditions, as is to be expected in the Open Championship. So $3 million for Harmon. We had a four-way tie for second that bagged everybody about a million. That included Jason Day and John Rahm, both who had incredible comebacks in the second half of this tournament. Rory McIlroy ties for sixth, gets himself about $550,000. Another top 10 for Rory, though. It's been a solid year. I know the drought's still there, and he's not getting to the finish line, but he is competing. He is in the conversation, at least with all of these majors. So it's been, uh, I, I think, a really impressive year for him as is the case for Fleetwood and Cam Young, who finished in the top 10 each, bag about $400,000 respectively for their efforts this past weekend. I'll put the post with all of the top 20 payouts from the Open Championship on spotrate.com. And you can check out all the results, financially speaking, at spotrate.com slash PGA. If you didn't know, we're tracking that week by week, day by day, and uh, full career earnings for most of these players as well in the Spotrate PGA section. 
One last quick NFL segment. We'll get out of here today. Available NFL free agents. It is the start of camp. And that means for some players, they're looking around saying, what about me? Uh, some of them have been waiting on purpose for situations just like Heinz today, unfortunately. Uh, season-ending injuries or serious injuries that are going to open up a roster spot immediately and maybe even a starting role. You know, players like Zeke Elliott, who have been sitting out there waiting. You have to think that uh, the Zeeks and the Delvin Cooks of the world aren't enjoying today's news, but are certainly going to benefit from it. Leonard Fournette has been into a couple of camps. Kareem Hunt's been into a couple of camps. They're viable running backs, maybe a little past their prime, but who can still compete and produce on an NFL roster. Uh, and those kind of players should garner a job here in the next couple of weeks or even this week as tramps, camps begin to open. At the quarterback position, it always gets thin. But look, you got a Bridgewater, you got a Carson Wentz. You know, you've got Nick Foles, who I think could be done, but might not be if somebody needs it. And uh, Matt Ryan appears to be going to the TV booth, but I don't think he's retired officially because he wants to A, get the $12 million from Indy, and B, wants the whole lot hope that somebody might need some kind of service from him in the 2023 season. So there's some names there. I don't think there's any names that teams want to have to deal with right now, but if they have to, certainly available heading into the camp season. Wide receivers are thin, you know? Uh, you've got your Sammy Watkins of the world and players in that earth, right? I don't think Julio, Julio Jones is returning for anybody, but if he does, uh, you know, it'll be certainly on a minimum contract, which is the the lay of the land right now. Jarvis Landry is still without a contract. Uh, he faced a hamstring injury last year that kept his production at bay. But you got to think at just 30 years old, he can still produce for, for an NFL team. And there's names. So I do think we'll see some of these minimum signings. Again, we'll see some veterans fall off the roster after camp for contract purposes and then come back on a week-to-week -week basis so that the veteran guarantee doesn't lock in, the vested veteran guarantee. And you never know. You might see players get swapped out here in, in regards to that kind of situation if they're willing to take a minimum contract with no signing bonus out of the gate as well. A couple of defensive players, Yannick Ngakwe, he feels like he always takes to the last second to sign. Same with Jadavian Clowney. Marcus Peters has been in a few camps. I think he's going to get done here eventually soon. And uh, Zach Cunningham is a able-bodied inside linebacker who should go dirt cheap right now and could impact somebody immediately. So there's, there's names out there. There's players out there that can impact a starting lineup immediately right now. And it's just a waiting game. And by the way, a lot of times it's the player and the agent waiting, not so much the teams. There's offers out there. They're, they're bare bottom baseline offers. And the team and the player and agent are simply saying, look, if, if we wait out one team that has an actual need versus just bringing in a depth signing, we can squeeze out a million guaranteed instead of 150,000 guaranteed and get ourselves a nice payday for the 2023 season. So that's where we are. It's that time of year. Again, it's a deadline. It's a soft deadline for training camp. A lot of things should happen. Some of these available names will pop. Some of these extensions will hit. We'll have plenty to talk about on the next episode of the Spot Trade Podcast. <laughs>